what? Health tech is rapidly evolving. So we've got artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, digitally enabled devices, nanotechnology. They're all trying to solve big problems in healthcare. Have you ever wondered where do all these fancy technologies come from? Well, a lot of the time it's from universities or research institutes, or the innovations come from the frontline healthcare workers who are innovating just to solve the problems that they face on a day-to-day. Then on the other side, we've got this vibrant biomedical industry, and they're constantly scanning the market for new innovative technologies that can help them grow in their markets. So given all of that, how do we proactively bridge that gap between early stage innovation and industry and market adoption? Well, today Talking Health Tech is partnering with Cicada Innovations to bring together two sides of the innovation equation, founders and industry partners. So we're recording this episode at an in-person meetup and networking and fireside chat event here at Cicada Innovations in Sydney. And we're going to explore the often challenging process of adopting early stage innovation into the health tech industry. So in this episode today, you'll hear a panel conversation moderated by me and Dr. Katya Bittart, Head of Health Tech here at Cicada. Joining us in the conversation is Lynette Walter, CEO of Navbit, a medical device company who have successfully partnered with industry in bringing their technology to market. Linda Laidlaw, former global head of logistics at ResMed and current advisor in new ventures and innovation. And Mark Flynn, a global health executive who's launched over 20 medical devices to market globally. Special thanks to Cicada Innovations for co-hosting this event with us tonight, providing this awesome venue, the catering, and the platform to bring these two sides of the equation together. And here at Talking Health Tech, we're hoping to host more events like this in the future across the country. So subscribe to the newsletter to find out when the next one is, and you can be amongst the networking and join in the conversations live on the night. But right now, here's the session that took place at Health Tech Connect right here at Cicada Innovations. Collaboration starts with a conversation team, Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com survey. So we thought, let's, let's give everyone a voice. So from the left, we have Lynette Waters. Lynette is the founder and CEO of Nafbit. Nafbit is a medical device company that is uh, in the surgical space and has successfully managed to work with industry to get a foot into the market. So we love to hear Lynette's viewpoint on how, how did we get there? How, how did we actually successfully make that work? And then we have Mark. Mark Flynn is, um, I call you Mark in the middle, because you are a facilitator between early stage and industry. Help himself being from corporate, so ex-cochlear, and has worked with over 
200 companies over the last 20 years of trying to bridge that gap from is there value? Can we translate? How do we build a commercial strategy and how do we actually execute it? So we have a product successfully in the hands of our patients. And then we have Linda. Linda had both worked on the startup side, but more importantly for the last few years, she has been the vice president for the Global Supplier Alliance for ResMed. And as such, she had a very busy job during COVID. Um, and that um, she, she brings a huge experience um, working on, on, on global challenges, how you actually get devices in global market and distributed. But now she is um, changing her role and her aspect and is looking for innovation. How can ResMed work with innovative and new upcoming companies? Um, and how can we actually bridge that? So three very, very unique ex um, viewpoints. So thanks for coming and sharing your time. So, Let's maybe kick off with uh, Lynette. Sure. Yeah. So I might ask, I might ask a question. Hello, yeah. Lynette. So of, as I understand, with your precision device, you've got some, and I'll, I'll get you to give some context to it, but you've got some partnerships with some pretty significant industry partners, like big names, the big fish that other founders would look at and go, geez, how do you land something like that? So, Talk to us about how that actually comes about. How do, you, how do you go for those really big industry partners and do something meaningful? Thanks, Pete. Can you hear me? No. Can, we, can you hear me one? now? Close. Yeah, okay. So um, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, I'm a re we're a resident of Cicada, so it's great to be a part of all of this. Um, let me just start off by saying telling you who we are. So Navbit is a company that makes technology for surgeons and uh, we make uh, technology which is used in um, joint replacement. Our technology is actually very complementary to the products that are sold by the big orthopaedic companies, i.e. the implants. So I think from day one, I already understood really who our commercial partners, our kind of desirable commercial partners were and the products was designed and the technology has always been designed with a sort of full view of who we think, who we thought the customer or the commercial partnership would be with. So that would, I think that's important. Um, in terms of our journey, we started really seriously about six years ago and it took 18 months. Uh, within 18 months, we had already started to engage with J&J. J&J actually approached us and the, the global team. So. I think it's important that it was a global engagement. It wasn't a local engagement. Uh, and we talked to them actually for three years before we signed anything with them. And there were probably a couple of different things that came along that we looked at along the way and we knew it wasn't quite right at that time. But we did finally come to a point where we signed a commercial, essentially a distribution agreement with J&J in Australia. So they have exclusive rights to sell the products in, product in Australia. And then, so that took us up to 2021 and Smith and Nephew then talked to us about taking the product into Japan. And I'm pleased to say that we've just signed an agreement with those guys in the last two weeks. So we launched in Japan and we've just launched in Japan. So yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> so I think what's, you know, important is, um, you know, we had a clear idea of who they were. Um, there are four big companies in our space, J&J, uh, 
Zimmer, Stryker and Smith and & Nephew, and we've got agreements with two of them. So we've created, I think, you know, the right kind of environment um, to move forward. Can I ask a follow-up to that? Did they just Google and find you? Or was there a little bit more to it? Yeah, I mean, it, re it really comes down to the network. You know, they already knew who we were. Um, and of course, we, you know, did as much as we could to make ourselves known. But, um, you know, there were, I guess, there were multiple contact points already with that company. And, and yeah, so we did. Is that that take three year that. journey, the whole kind of speaking to one person, speaking to another? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the three, during the three years, um, I think, you know, when we initially talked to them, it was about what is the product, product market fit, all that kind of thing. Does this fit their strategy? And then in three years after that, it was really about exploring how we could fit their strategy, you know, and they had a million questions. And of course, they've always got the carrot and they keep moving the carrots, so you keep following. Um, because for them, what they need to do is de-risk. They want you to take all the risk out of the innovation. And, you know, it, I think you can be a little bit naive where you think that they won't need that, but they always want you to take the risk out for them. Um, but really, for us, I think the people are really important, and I've got a few points perhaps later on to talk about why and how you need to think about the people that you're talking to what motivates them, what's their own risk appetite, where are they located, what is their role, you know, that sort of thing. So people, are ma people matter. We'll definitely come back to that, I think. Yeah, it's a really great starting point. And, and I think you raise a lot of, um, a lot of aspects to consider. Mm -hmm. And I would love to contrast that from you now. When you, you are the big corporate that is actually looking out there, what are the main questions and criteria that you consider before approaching someone? So I think one thing to say is there's a difference between a Medtronic, a Boston Scientific, a J&J, and even a ResMed. ResMed's a $3 billion revenue per year. Cochlear, someone will remind me, but it's about a $1.2 billion revenue a year. And then you've got Johnson & Johnson, um, those guys, and they're $30 billion revenue. So again, even at that level, there's a difference in how we approach things, what we, what we look for. Um, I think, um, and I think this is part of, you're talking about know who you're talking to. You have to understand the company you're talking to and where they're going to and, and understand their strategy, what's, what's public in, it, about that, about, you know, if you Google ResMed, if you come into ResMed with an idea, you'd look at all our, um, you know, you'd listen to all our earnings forecasts, you'd look at our press releases and you see, we've been buying software companies for the last, 10 years, public information, not giving anything away. We generally don't buy device companies. So know that, because knocking on our door with a device company is probably going to be met lukewarm. Perhaps it depends on, on that device. We have bought a couple of smaller devices in the diagnostic space, but again, not in our space, because we believe we can do it better than, than anyone else, and, and it's, that's our core competency. So I think you have to understand not just the people, but also where that company sits, what they're doing, and what their growth strategies are. Um, I think for a company of, of ResMed size, it is very much about fit. And we were talking, you talk about taking risk off the table. We're looking for incremental revenue and incremental profit. That's all we're looking for. Um, we want innovation to do that. And that might not be incremental revenue and profit for ResMed it might be incremental revenue and profit for our customers or whoever's in our channel. 
because as market leader, it's our job to grow the channel, to, to grow the business, to grow the segment. And so really, again, um, understanding the channel, understanding all the actors in the channel. Um, and when we look and evaluate companies that come to us with that, that's definitely one of the things that we look for. Um, and I was talking to someone earlier today. You may think that you've got the best thing that's gonna put ResMed out of business. <laughs> um, probably not. Um, and so a defense pitch is, is, is harder to sell. Um, and even if it is a real defense, even if it is a threat, the big companies are gonna say, at what point do I jump? You know, prove to me that it's a, it's a, it's a threat rather than you know, I look at your slides and I agree with you. So again, I think that's um, understanding the business, understanding where they're going and what their strategies are. Um, I think also it is about you as the founder or you, the company. There has to be a connection um, because it has to be authentic and there has to be trust. Um, you have to feel that this person or this company has got a future. It's got the right team. We talked earlier today about having the right team. It's got the right team. It's got the technology. Yes, it's got the technology. But more importantly, it's got the right people who's going to deliver on their, their roadmap and, and their milestones. Um, usually um, when, um, and I, I must say, I can't really talk for ResMed now because I'm not a ResMed employee as of three weeks ago. Um, but, um, you know, we would look to, to do an investment to let you see how you go. It wouldn't be an investment that would probably change your world that much, um, but it would be enough for us to start that relationship and help get you to the next stage. Um, I think the other thing we look for is um, a good financial model that you've already, that you really feel confident in. Um, we may not agree with it, but at least that shows your thinking and, and how you're looking at it, you know, attacking the market that you want to go after. Um, again, when we're looking, you know, some people come to us and they're already in the marketplace. In fact, most of the ones that we do, usually they're already in the marketplace, but they're small. Um, and then it's about, okay, how's the market going to react to it? It's not just how we react to it but what's the market going to react? And there is a tick the box, you know, have you got the reimbursement? Do you know what the reimbursement situation is? Have you got your regulatory approvals? Have you got your clinical trials done? All of those things, because that's all about taking risk off the, off the table. Um, I think, the other thing is, um, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to look at stuff that's synergistic to what we do, um, that again, is going to grow revenue and profit for us. Um, something that's disruptive, again, your pitch would be very different if you're a disruption to the marketplace, not even to ResMed particularly, but just to the whole industry. Um, you know, we would look at that quite differently than if you were accretive to, to our revenue and, and our profits. But when I was in Startup London, I was pitching to the Medtronics and, and the J&Js and that, I have to agree, it's a long journey. Um, it is about personal relationships. And whilst those Australian contacts can open the doors into the US, 
it's a double-edged sword, that one. You really have to be in the US to whoever is making those decisions because that guy in Australia is competing with the guy in France, is competing with the guy in Singapore, who also wants R&D investment for things that's in here. So you really do have to spend that time um, building those, those personal relationships um, with wherever that decision-making is. And I know that often you'll be told that the Australian is the decision-maker or they can influence, but really how much do they do? You really have to look at, at, look at that um, very closely. Um, I think, um, again, um, looking at timelines and, and having what's the journey to commercialization that you've got is it three years? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? And we're probably going to have a better idea of that than you are. So you really need to be realistic in those estimates and also the level of investment that you think you're going to need. Because yes, you're going to come to pitch and say, I just want 5 million to get me to the next milestone. But in our head, we're going, so what's after that? How much is it going to take to get this business that it's got a positive cash flow situation? So again, um, really thinking through that, trying to understand. And it really doesn't matter if your numbers are wrong, but if you demonstrate the thinking, um, and again, if that relationship develops, you can work together on the numbers um, to come up with a, a reasonable, realistic um, economic forecast for your business. Um, and it's also good to have a plan B because I can't re couldn't tell you the number, I mean, in the, the pictures that I did, I didn't get any success at all in, in four years. So there you go. Um, and there was you know, a couple of us in the business and we, we had interest, but again, yeah, I, we never got it to the point that it was interesting enough for them. Um, so again, it, it is cons it's just keep going, keep knocking on the doors and, and learn from them as well. Because every time you have a meeting with them, you're going to learn something that they may either, you know, um, tell you because they, you know, they, they want to tell you or let slip, something that lets slip or you learn something new about the strategy. So every meeting, every conversation treated as this is the critical one. Um, and that's the way you build up trust as well. So you're there to learn as well as to pitch. And the more you learn about them, the better your pitch will be. Mm, absolutely. I love the, you know, expectation of please be super innovative, but also not risky at all. Like just, <laughs> that'd be great. You know? uh -huh. um, but, but then it's just the dollar. How much, what's the dollars you put on either side yeah, of that right. equation? That's mm. really what you're looking yeah, at because it all it. takes money. Mm. No, absolutely. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help. Yes, you to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, 
preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. And then, because I want to come back to that, that people theme came up again, which I'm sure we'll dive into a bit further, but then Mark in the middle there, he's, you know, the, the glue, the collaborator, the, the one that's, that's kind of, you know, coordinating these discussions. I've probably oversimplified your role, but did you want to give it more context about, you know, the kind of stuff you're seeing on a day-to-day in between these conversations and perhaps pitfalls that there might be quite a few founders that are watching, listening, whatever to this that um, you've seen from your own experience that others could avoid in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. I think one of the places to start is that, um, similar to, to Linda, that I've, I worked at Cochlear and before that at Demand. They're, they're very narrow focused companies. Both of them are in hearing. They're not J&Js, they're not Medtronics. But one of the things that you learn when you take, or is not understood in these companies, is just how difficult it is to be a founder of a medtech company. <laughs> when you've lived in big corporate. Yeah. So I moved for, when I moved from Cochlear, I moved to a, a neurostimulation startup. And I, obviously I needed to meet some, some neurosurgeons. And when I was at Cochlear, it was easy. I just picked up the phone or sent an email to the regional salesperson in whatever market and said, I need to meet this doctor professor. Can you arrange a meeting? And they'll say, yes, I'll get back to you and next week or the week after. There'd be a meeting and it'd all be organized and I'd, we'd, I'd know exactly where to go and everything would be done. Language wouldn't be an issue, all of those things. Well, when you're a startup, well, where's your sales force? Where's your regional sales manager? Those things don't exist. How do you actually make these contacts? You can wait for an international meeting, but maybe it's at the wrong time or it's too far away. And you have to be innovative because these things are actually quite difficult. You can't, well, maybe someone can. I've never succeeded at ringing up a hospital and asking to speak to a neurosurgeon or the head of ENT or a gastroenterologist. I, I've never managed to make that work. The thing that worked for me, and it's, it's ironic because I don't drink coffee, but I would hang out at the cafeteria in the, in the coffee shop and I would look on people's badges for what it said they worked. And I would come up to them and say, well, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And they'd look at me strangely, but, it, but agree. And then I'd, have a con- then I'd have a conversation and they would at least be from the right department. And, you know, and they might be a pediatric neurologist and actually I wanted to speak to an adult one or something like that. But I'd say, well, when does this person work? And they say, well, I'll, I'll see them this afternoon. Well, can I buy them a cup of coffee? Yes, we'll come down and meet you at 11 o'clock and you can buy us both coffee. And then we'd have that discussion and we'd build it and network from there. But it's really hard being founder or working for a, for a small startup company because you don't have these resources. But we know that. But the thing is, the corporate doesn't know that. Because often they've got their job in a, in a corporate company, they've worked their way out through the chain. And these things like, like meeting um, KOLs and meeting surgeons or meeting other uh, engineers or university professors is quite easy because it's all sort of organized for you. They're sitting on your surgical advisory board or your technical board or those things. So it's difficult, 
the other company doesn't realize how difficult it is. If we talk about people, it gets difficult as well because you can have a conversation with people at Cochlear or ResMed or J&J, but you may not be talking to the right person. So you can go a long period of time talking to someone, telling them about your innovation. They have a nice business card that says they're the global manager for business to new business development or something like that. And you find out they've actually got no influence in that company at all. Your message is not getting to the CEO or not getting to the person who writes checks or creates collaboration. So really take the energy. LinkedIn is a great platform. Look at their org chart and be very proactive about, I need to meet that person and find out if they're going to be at a conference or a meeting and make sure, again, we buy them coffee or whatever it takes to meet them and just be really proactive. Understand the company. In some companies, particularly privately held ones, and there's large privately held medical companies, the CEO may make all the decisions. So actually, who is the decision maker? How are the decisions decided within that company? Is there an advisory that advises the CEO? Or is the CEO essentially just making those decisions? So you can have as many conversations as you like, but unless you've got the CEO in the room, he or she is the one that makes that decision, so move forward. We often pitch, and we did that today with our, with our um, group in the health commercialization program. But the pitch we do to get VC money or funding has to be very, very different to what we're going to pitch to a commercial entity that we want to have a strategic partner. You are not going to go in, maybe you want to, but you I don't think you should go in there and say, we are going to totally disrupt the whole market. The, in, the companies here have been lazy, they've ignored opportunity, they've left money on the table. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Five people are much better than the 5,000 people that work for you. And we're going to innovate and, and move faster because you're a big, slow company. And I've seen it. I've seen those companies come in and pitch. Maybe not as blunt as that, but they have. Understand what is the company's challenge. If we look at Cochlear, for example, their big global challenge is how to build awareness of cochlear implants, how to get people out of the hearing aid chain into the cochlear implant chain. If you have an innovation that can do that, that can move people from hearing aids to cochlear implants, they will be very receptive because that's a key challenge. If you have an innovation that improves hearing performance, potentially a new microphone technology or something like that, they will be very interested in that conversation if they can work out how to bring that technology into their product. And the, and the last thing to consider is be very realistic. You will be communicating with people who probably spent their whole life building whatever technology it is that you think you can build and innovate on. They know exactly what it costs, how many engineers it takes, what the challenges are. They may have even, because it's commercial inconfidence, they may have even tried to do what you think you're doing and know the pitfalls. So be realistic, come prepared with, this is how long it's actually gonna take, this is how many engineers, this is the type of factory or manufacturing that I need, this is the distribution, this is the cost and the time, because they will know that. And you might get away with it in initial conversations for investment, but you won't get away with it in a, um, when you're trying to pitch to a company for that strategic partnership. 
I have a follow-up question to any of you, because what, what we see here at Cicada when we, we support founders from the really early stages to when they are in market, and we see their engagement throughout that journey where they're trying to engage with industry as strategic partners or acquirer or innovator, uh, um, investor, I just see the reluctance and a little bit the sitting back on both sides and waiting for the other to make the first move. Is that something that you see as well? And how could we, how could we activate both sides to actually just meet in the middle much more early? I, I think from my perspective is that it's always difficult, these collaborations. Collaboration is difficult. But when you have different objectives, it's difficult. We see it with universities and industry. We see it with startups and, and large companies. We see it with medium-sized companies and large companies. It is about taking the energy to understand what is important to the other side. Mm. What does the other side want? What problem do they have that I can solve? So I, so I, I challenge you, but does that mean that a little bit too self-absorbed and we don't think too much about the other side? Yes. I think it's really <laughs> important to put yourself in their shoes. They don't really care about whether it's really hard for you or whatever. They're not interested. What they need to know is how you can solve their problem. So I just literally stand in their shoes. What would it be like to be in that role and with those challenges? And it's easy to judge and say, oh, you know, why didn't they give me their attention or whatever? I mean, they've got big jobs and they've got responsibilities and, you know, a lot going on. So you want to make it as easy as possible for them. Don't talk about, you know, your problems. Talk about their problems, definitely. You talk about timing there. And I know um, in a startup, time is everything because you, you haven't got a lot of money in the bank and, and you're burning cash and you're not moving forward. From a corporation's point of view, time particularly if you're part of a team that's looking at multiple investments, there's not the same pressure on the timeline um, to, to do that. And in fact, for some, it might be, some situations you might prefer to wait for whatever reasons, whether you're a bit doubtful about the people, the company, the technology, and you just want to go on, but you don't want to say no, because you don't want to close the door on it. And you don't want to close the door on it because you, you, know, you do want to give encouragement to startups as well. It, it, it's not that, it, it's just that. So your timeline and their timeline could be very, very different. We were talking about this before, and one of the startups that I did was, um, um, it was an active implantable for the treatment of incontinence, and this was before the GFC, so it was a long time ago. But we had, our pitch to Johnson & Johnson was, you've got a problem with your pelvic floor mesh. You are going to be up to your knees in legal action in another 10 years because of the complication rate. We have a product and a solution that we believe overcome that. And we were just 10 years too early. They knew they had a problem at the time, but obviously they made a lot of money in those 10 years. They weren't ready to, to address it. So again, that timing issue of where the company is, where they're at, is really, um, is really important. And you may never get on the same timeline. And I might uh, just add to that, um, I think you've also got to think about how long it can take for these companies. And you've got to build relationships with more than one person because they come and they go. And if someone's got a new strategy, you need to be across multiple people in that organisation. 
Um, it's not unusual for me to be on calls with J&J &J, and it'll be me and at least 11 of them or, you know, I've even looked to see there were 28 people on the call. So it's all about building and in that, that three years, you know, it was about building those relationships at every level. And, you know, they actually become your friends because you get to know them, which is really nice. Yeah. It's, um, you know, to that, to that example, Linda, that you gave, you know, saying, here's a problem that I guess is not on your radar. <clears throat> and if you don't do something about it now, you're, you're going to be in big trouble, big corporate. And, and I hear that a lot from founders about, you know, talking about the, the, the thing they're going to do, the way they're going to grow, they go to market is, um, helping companies identify this problem that's just not on their radar. Have you ever found like much success in that strategy? Because from my own experience, being in a corporate, you're kind of like, well, cool, like add it to the list. Like, you know, it's fine. I can put that on my, my risk, you know, tool thing that you do in corporates. Oh, that's cool. Um, and, but also, and I guess a follow up to it, the, the other common one is, well, we'll just do something very similar to what's already happening, but it'll be heaps cheaper. Like, like there's more efficiencies gained and everyone likes saving money. So that's our business case is that we're going to be able to do the same thing, but cheaper. But if like same cost is on the radar. And I think as a startup, I do not understand how you're going to be cheaper as a startup than you are in a company that's got volume manufacturing and they've got, they've got all the infrastructure, the, the, the amortization of all that investment is across a $3 billion business. So I think you could um, maybe model the, the cost to the, uh, to the channel or to the health fund that it's a cost saving, but going to J&J &J and saying, I can, I can build a, a, um, uh, an acetabular cap cheaper than you can because I've got this great technology, they're just gonna yawn. Um, because it's not realistic, probably, and if it was, you know, they're probably working on it anyway because they're just so much connected. So I think the cost argument doesn't. I think the threat argument may or may not work, depending, because it might not be, they may be aware of it, J&J &J was well aware of it, but it wasn't urgent enough for them to do it, and it was only when the regulators stepped in that it became an urgent problem for them. And I guess then to everyone's point too, if you're having those conversations, behind, there's only so much you can get from a public forum. Yeah. If you're having those conversations internal, like with those right players, you're starting to get that insight. So, or at least bridging those gaps and making that assumption gap smaller to present the right thing. And also networking to other startups that you know it, that could be targeting those as well. It might be, you know, this, you might be in the orthopedic sector, but there might be someone in the pacemaker sector. I don't know of, of that you'll still learn by networking horizontally and you might not see the value of that straight off. But um, I think, you know, you get to understand that company, the culture in that company, how it works and learn from other people's mistakes. Because um, that's, you know, that's worth, that's worth its weight in gold is learning from other people's mistakes as long as you don't repeat them. Um, so I think that's important. And, and, We've probably had a lot of startups that have gone down that path in the past. So there's probably a lot of people out there, even in Australia, that, that would share their experiences with you as well. I think the, the other one with timing is that the, the company has a product plan. The company has a 10 to 15 year yeah. product plan. Yeah. And so, yes, they're working very fast, they're working very hard, but that's on that product plan. And for you to come in with a new technology, it doesn't fit their current regulatory strategy, 
their current development pathway, their design history, their quality, all of those things. It can't just be turnkeyed immediately into the next product release. So you could keep pitching a new technology, but it may not fit for six or seven years into their, where their product plan is. And you need to understand what are they doing with each generation and what challenges are they trying to solve and what challenges are their competitors, their close competitors, trying to solve. And if you can manage problem solving for them and bring a solution, they'll be receptive. If you bring a problem to them that they haven't heard of, then it's going to be really hard because they're not going to go, oh my gosh, I didn't think of that. Um, yes, we'll, we'll immediately turn the whole ship around and everything else. They'll just look at you and go, that's not a problem. We don't see it in the marketplace. And we're the ones who are being successful and selling lots of products. Mm. I've seen plenty of hands go up, but I think we've, I also, and there's so much value that's coming from here. It'd be great to keep going, but we also need to make time for doing the networking that we talked about, right? So um, maybe we... Wrap up here with any well, comment. Well, I, I would just let, first of all, thank you, because I think there were some really golden nuggets in the discussion tonight. What I'm taking away is uh, really you have to be patient. You have to be focused if you are from a founder side, and you have to really understand the other side and come with the blueprint. What industry wants is to say, that makes a lot of sense, it's proven, now I scale it. And I scale it with, our, with little. So that's the, I think, the very, very simplified version of what I'm taking away tonight. And I invite you to grill Linda, Mark, and Ned in our networking. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June. And I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks. And I'll even buy you a coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com. 